Uh, so second start. Um, I want to read this. Is that okay? Go. Uh, disturb us, Lord, when we are too well pleased with ourselves, when our dreams have come true because we have dreamed too little, when we arrived safely because we sailed too close to shore. Disturb us, Lord, when the abundance of things we possess, we have lost all of our thirst for the water of life. Having fallen in love with life, we have ceased to dream of eternity. And in our efforts to build a new earth, we have allowed our vision of the new heaven to dim. Disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly, to venture on wider seas, uh, where storms will show your mastery, where losing sight of land, we shall find the stars. We ask you to push back the horizons of our hopes and to push into the future in strength, courage, hope, and love. Sir Francis Drake, 1577. Uh, this was told to me in a book that I was reading, and I sent it to you guys, and it kind of goes into um, like how I how I view a lot of things, and um, I thought super cool that this was written by uh, Sir Francis Drake. I'd never even um, like taken a deep dive into any of that stuff, and just to know that this was, I don't know, 500-something years ago. How many years ago is that? A lot of years ago. What resonated with this? Um, is there a theme from the whole thing? Is there certain passages? That I mean, a lot. But um, we are too well pleased with ourselves when our dreams have come true because we have dreamed too little. I like that a lot. So, like, if we set our, like, if we just get happy with the little things and then we're, that's where we're just satisfied instead of set, setting our standards pretty high. Um uh, let's see when we arrived safely because we sailed too close to shore. Yeah. That's like another thing is like, we didn't venture out. So we didn't take those leaps and gambles. And that's like where failure happens, but that's also where growth. That's happens. a great question to ask yourself in your life is right now, where are you sailing too close to the shore? Yeah. I think it's like, I don't know. I've definitely, I caught myself and then I try to swim out to shore and then sometimes I get lost. But in this poem, it says like, Oh, you go too deep into, into the ocean, but then you actually find the stars. So I find that pretty awesome. Um, Disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly to venture on wider seas where storms will show your mastery. So uh, for me, that's where obstacles come. Your storm is hardship. Your storm is something that you get to overcome. And by overcoming it, you're going to be a stronger individual. Um, That goes back to what Paul talks about all the time. What we talked about in the past few weeks about Paul saying is when I'm weak, I am strong. Like yes. in those moments where like I need help, like that shows your mastery. So that's a beautiful verse. As well. I, um, then it says like, we're losing sight of land. We shall find the star. So when you think that you've like fully lost it, we're actually maybe seeing something that we've never seen before. Um, and then I like it where it says, we ask you to push back the horizons of our hopes and to push us into the future and strength, courage, hope, and love. And so if you, if you look at the grand scheme of life and, we all strive for strength, courage, hope, and love. And in doing those things, you'll be a better human being, better father, better husband, better whatever you're going to be. Um, so, I mean, really the whole thing, but I liked all those major points. How, what so about you? Sometimes if you, sometimes going back to losing sight of lamb, find your stars, like there's a verse uh, from a song is sometimes you got to get lost to be found. Mm-hmm. And so I like that a lot. Well, uh, yeah, I think it's really cool. I think, was that from Judah? <laughs> you know it was. <laughs> so I uh, wrote one of the things up on the board. And I erased it to write some of the stuff today, but it talks about that. I also think a lot of times what happens in the dark is what makes you shine so bright under lights. And so that's actually one of the points that I want to talk about today is that um, 
emulate the people who are working in the dark. Don't emulate the people who are under the spotlight because the people who are in the dark are probably the ones you want to follow. You just don't see them doing the work. So That's interesting. Tell me more. Well, today I'd like to give you um, kind of a deep dive into my training methodology, my training philosophy, what my plan is for the year, running in general, what it means to me, uh, how I set this audacious goal, what I'm trying to do, how I'm going to overcome it, what do I do for all these things, what I've learned over the past 12 years. Uh, and so that's what today I would like to talk about, a bunch of stuff, uh, and kind of manipulate and talk through the things so that I could use you as a sounding board of like actually saying it out loud because these are things I think about all the time and just kind of um, help let people get into my mind and uh, see if they like what goes on in my mind and emulate it for themselves or not. Or this guy's full of like, like I don't know, some crazy stuff. So that's kind of what I'd like to talk to uh, you about today. Um, and I'd like to first, uh, what do you got? No, go ahead. No, you're about to do the pencil thing. Go ahead. Um, my audacious goal is to run a sub 237 marathon in December. Um, so for me, we can get into how this happened. Yeah, let's start with there. So when, where did this like idea come from? Like, what was your training looking like before you came up with this concept of I need to run, run a marathon? Uh, so th- let's say, uh, I don't know how, what, what year is it right now? 2024. So in 2005, I was in the hallway okay. of Lodi High and um, I asked the running coach, I know everyone hears this story a lot. I asked the running coach, I want to learn how to run because I want to run fast. And he, out of the hallway, I remember it was running, and we ran in the hallways because during the rain, you can, like, run underneath the thing, and it was, like, torrential downpour. And so I was like, I'm loving that. I'm enjoying this. Like, it was really cool to run, and I felt really good. And then we get back, and I was like, oh, I want to train with the runners today. Not probably, not because he was like, oh, you're too big to be a runner, but he just said, no, you're going to go with the throwers. You're a thrower. You're not a runner. And when he said that, it stuck into my head. And so the first 10, 15 years of that is what kind of led me to make all these the decisions of being told I'd never be a runner. It wasn't, he didn't personally say, hey, Lucas, you're never going to be a runner. He just told me I was a thrower on that day. So to not try to do that, but I took it in. And so I've been on a mission to prove that person wrong, which is we've talked about before is how like having someone else's, um, like as anger or to despise them. Uh, but so that's how it all started. What you're saying is like using that as a motivator. Yeah. I'm trying of that. Yes. Um, and so, and then we'll kind of fast forward. A lot of stuff had happened. Um, I was training for a marathon and I wanted to run qualify for Boston and like a sub three hour marathon is a really cool time. And I was on probation in the fire service and I was (laughs) pretending to study in the dungeon that we called it. I listened to Ryan Hall, uh, the fastest American half marathon, uh, fastest American marathoner and half marathoner to run. And he was being interviewed by Lance Armstrong. He just had a book come out called run the mile that you're in. Uh, he was also about to, uh, I didn't know this, but he was about to start a coaching program and they said, Hey, you know, Ryan or Lance asked Ryan, if anyone wants to get coached by you, like, what do you got to do? And they're like, Oh, email me at blah, 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 blah. And so I had, I had previously emailed other people because I knew that I needed help to get a sub three because I've ran marathons before, but I'd never gotten to that point. I knew I needed like an, an uh, like assistance in that spot. So I emailed him and he emailed me back and then went through all this stuff and was really opened and helped. 
Uh, and then um, he put me into his coaching program and we got all that, had a great mentor named Jared. Jared was my coach. He helped me out, got me into really good stuff, got me in really good shape. And then COVID hit and COVID happened. And then I was like aiming for this sub three hour marathon and kept signing up for races and this and that. And um, so finally I just ran around town, ran by your parents' house. I ran by my old house umbrella. I ran through the orchards, through the vineyards, over the train tracks. And I ran a sub three hour marathon with like my family and like as my support crew and um, finished at Lodi Lake. So I did that and I was like, oh, that's really cool. Like unassisted race, not in a race. You're saying it wasn't a race, but you made a race for yourself. Yeah, because I was tired of, because all the marathons and races were being canceled. So you'd sign up for CIM. During COVID, that's And you sign up for Eugene and you okay. sign up for this and then they would keep getting canceled. So I was like tired of that. So then it happened again. And then I was like, okay, well, I need to, I want to run. And so that, that all happened. So I continued with my coach. We did all this stuff. I ended up moving to Texas. Uh, getting a really cool group of people. They were the Falcons. They were the Plano Running Club. Uh, so then there was another subgroup inside that that was really fast people. I was the slowest person out there, and then they they let me run with them every once in a while. And so I'd go run with them. Uh, I got in pretty good shape, and then I ran a, a decent half marathon. And then that's when Ryan Hall was interviewing my coach, and they were talking about his athletes. And they had mentioned, they said, hey, you know, Lucas, as Jared's um, athlete, He's doing really well. He's really strong. Uh, he's running really fast. He just ran this half marathon pace. And I'm, I'm saying it right now. He's going to run a sub 237. And when I heard that, um, it put on so much pressure. I put on so much pressure on myself to go do that, that I totally bonked my marathon and only ran like 30 seconds faster than my marathon PR. And um, uh, I learned a lot in that moment. I'm very thankful that I bonked and had a bad experience because that's what it is. So that was my last marathon. That was in Omaha, Nebraska. And now my buddy is uh, challenging me. Like as he's, I train him as an athlete for the running, and he and I work together to come up with a really good plan that works with him and his family life. And then we uh, are going to run Eugene in April. I'm going for a certain time there. And then CIM in 2024, I'm going to try to um, meet that goal that once it was set out loud that now I want to do. I like to really dedicate myself to something for over a year and obviously for the last 12 years and we'll kind of come through here. Really long story. I haven't heard a lot of that story. It's really insightful. Um, I want to ask first, why sub 237? You've kind of outlined it with Jared, um, but why is that important to you? Why is that your intention? So I ran it, um, sub three hour marathon, and then I ran a half marathon at 116. So I do a, a prep race. So I build up and we'll get into all that, but I build up and then we do a half marathon prep and it tells you, it predicts what your marathon could be. And so they predict it based off elite athletes. I'm not an elite athlete. I'm just a normal average Joe dude that likes to run and been running for a long time. Uh, and so in doing so and doing that, it, it helps you kind of like say like, oh, this is where you could be. Obviously you can put in a pace calculator and you can go run a, a five minute mile and it tells you that you run this type of marathon pace, but those are two separate things. Um, it shows you like your potential of what it could be. And so for me, I know that my true potential isn't, I haven't hit that yet. And, um, the 237 is really just something that is a little bit scary. And right. We said this in this little thing, it says, uh, we are too well pleased with ourselves when our dreams have come true because we have dreamed too little. And that goal 
of a 237 is very scary. That takes a lot of work. I know what that's going to take. I know what's going to have to happen. I know that the stars are going to have to align, my injury, my training, all this stuff is going to have to work out very well. Um, and then hopefully that comes out to that number. But I'm not, and I want to reiterate that I'm not so focused on that number. That's like the, that's like the weight on the scale. What I'm more worried about for my goal is to train consistently from the previous, what I've already started and to continue. Um, so that the end result is that goal. Cause if we start focusing, like I did the first time on that number, um, it ruins training and it takes the enjoy. It took the joy, the joy away from running. It took the joy away from my group runs. It took the joy away from the time I was spending cause it was more of a job. So I want to have that in the background, but also know that like, what I'm doing, the process is what I'm truly enjoying. Cause I really love running. I love challenging myself and I love suffering and I love doing that. And it's really easy to sign up for a marathon, but it's really, 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 really hard to train consistently injury free for a very long period of time. Like even to the point where you know that you are going to get injured, but just understanding that you're going to have these ups and downs and to ride them appropriately and just kind of have that mindset going into it. And that's kind of, so you feel a call to the to the sub 237 you've felt a call for that for a long time and you feel like you're capable of that and so you kind of feel like there's unfinished business like i'm i am capable of achieving this and so that kind of drives you to achieve your full potential it scares the crap out of me like that's why i want to achieve it um but i do think that at the end of that like if i do everything that i possibly could i do believe that that would be like the potential for that moment I'm always going to say like, oh, well, there's maybe a little more like, but for what I have, what I want to do, um, I want to train really well consistently for a year and a half so that I could achieve kind of what I have, put everything into it along with being a father, a husband, a business owner, whatever else you want to be. So you're using the fact that it's intimidating as kind of a compass of running towards it. Yeah. Cause if it was something where it didn't scare me that much at all. Like I personally know, cause I've ran a sub three hour marathon and sub whatever else you want to call it. And so that I know that I could do that. I want something that is maybe unachievable, but will, um, almost have me to the point of where like, you're away from the shore. I'm, yeah, I'm questioning. I'm, <clears throat> and I'm hoping to land and look at stars, <laughs> <laughs> but I know it's really good. I mean, that's exactly what you're doing. Like, like if you had set that goal at, 330 or something like that, um, that'd be closer to the shore. You've set a goal that's, you know, purposely puts you away from the shore and you're gonna have to uh, train to achieve it. Okay. So what are the biggest obstacles? You said you bonked on the last race. We're going to get into like the, I really want to know the kind of specifics on your training plan, but like big picture, what are the obstacles from the last one? It said you bonked and you put too much pressure on yourself to achieve this, right? Well, I look back and, uh, that's why I think it's super important to log all your stuff. And so for me, I have training peaks and uh, as a coach, all my athletes have training peaks. So you can go back on your training peaks and see what workouts you were doing in 2001, February or January, whatever today is January 16th of 2011 or 2021, whatever year it is. And you can look at it and you can be like, okay, I was running this pace, this heart rate. This is what I was going on. This is the race I did. This is the amount of miles that I did per week. And you can kind of calculate based on that. You knew exactly what happened before that. So you can uh, judge. Uh, what I did notice and the biggest obstacle I had was that I was trying to do too much. And so I was running with people who were faster than me. And so instead of running my workouts, I was running my workouts at their speed. And I got really in really, really, really good shape. 
but then I didn't make it to the start line healthy. I blew my back out the week before my race. I went to a chiropractor. I went to dry needling. I went to whatever else you can think of because I just, I hit this, the spot that led me to an energy. I got overtrained. And so uh, the obstacle is staying focused on my training plan and understanding that that's my training plan. I shouldn't be doing your paces. I shouldn't be doing someone else's paces. These are my paces because they're for me and to follow that. And I've gotten really good shape. And that's what I think a lot of people do. I always preach about this, about like, you know, going after it and people that are going too hard in the gym because you want to keep up with so-and-so, but that's not your pace. And that's really great because you're going to get in great shape, but you're also going to get fatigued. You're also going to get, um, like overrun, you're going to get blown up, you're going to get injured, you're going to get to be angry, you're going to be not hungry, over hungry, not sleep, all this stuff. And what happened was, with that happening, I just I blew up my back, I did all this stuff, I didn't take all the protocols. And I got in 100% shape. But I was actually 101% shape because I didn't make it to the finish line. So my goal is I'd rather be 95% in shape or 98% in shape than 101% in shape. And I do that with my clients, um, where we try to get you to the start line, happy, healthy, so that you can be there. Maybe it's like, there's a little bit more in there, but I didn't overdo it and kind of do that. So for me, my biggest obstacle and challenge would be to understand that I'm going to run my paces and not let anyone else dictate what my paces are besides myself. Really, that sounds like, first of all, that informs a lot of what I've heard in this gym as far as your f- philosophy. Uh-huh. It's just like this story right here explains a lot yeah. um, on the way you on the way you preach. But it sounds like kind of the biggest thing you have to do is like relinquish control of being able to get there. So you, you know, set these paces, but to do this, to actually do less is a relinquishing of controlling your outcome, right? That and understanding, like going into it preconceived that I'm going to have good workouts and I'm going to have really bad workouts. But that's part of the process. And understanding that I go to a, the track and I run all the stuff and it feels super hard to run the pace that should feel easy. Understanding that that doesn't mean that that's the end. I'm not in shape. That just means that I was not great that day. Um, and then knowing that in two weeks I might do a different workout but similar paces and it feels great. So it's just this ebb and flow and knowing that riding this wonderful, crazy roller coaster of a training block, and if you do it right and you do it appropriately and you take care of yourself and you sleep, hydrate, nutrition, mobility, all this stuff, hopefully if you have a good coach and a good program, when you get to race day, you're happy, healthy, and ready to go. Do you still think of Jared slash Ryan Hall as your kind of guide on this journey? Um, are you still using kind of their methodologies and program, or is there someone else that you've kind of uh, put in that position where you're is helping you through this time? So that's a great question. Um, Jared will always be a running mentor of mine. Uh, and so constantly, not constantly, I will text him every once in a while and just like check in on him because he's a friend. He was my coach, but he ended up turning into a friend. And he really shaped and molded me into the coach that I am today because of how he treated every athlete as like his friend and made them feel important. I felt bad because I used to call Jared and text him daily about my workouts. Obviously he doesn't care about my workouts. He was training for the Olympic trials himself in the marathon. He was has his own uh, stuff going on. He's a dad, he works full time. So it's like, he doesn't, like I just thought I was the center of his world, right? <laughs> and it's so funny because a lot of people will contact me as if like that's the same thing. And so he gives me like guidance in that Ryan Hall, on the other hand, right, is at that, that mm-hmm. other level. And so when I traveled to uh, Texas, I got to run with Ryan Hall, 
which is like a highlight of my running career and ask him personally about his book and like talk to him. It was just me and him. He was on his bike and I was running and through the Flagstaff, like the mountains of Flagstaff. And like, that's a big highlight of mine. Um, and again, going to his running camp, I got to talk to him, hear him, um, and kind of see what he went through and understanding those things. What was your question? Would you say, cause oh. what you've shared, like Jared is kind of, um, like the pieces of advice and the time he spent with you, um, still lives with you. Like when you're thinking about when you're running and programming Ryan Hall and kind of the time you spent with him and then the content he's produced, like you think about that when you're doing your programming, is that as you're approaching this new, uh, I, I guess the same goal as you're approaching this, this time, are you doing it with kind of positioning them as a guide or is there an additional source of information? Yeah. So I position, position them as the guide of how to be a good person and a good coach and a good friend and someone that offers advice. And I do have some of their stuff that I use in their training methodology because they really shaped and molded me to the way I am. So we'll say that's, that's like 60% of how I am and how I train. But then you have to look at just, that was three or four years of my life just before that, because I'm different than them in their own way. I have different family structure. I have different upbringing. I have different bone structure, different size, whatever you want to call it. Um, reading and educating myself in every aspect of it. So continuing to learn, but having the mindset of wanting to learn more and using myself as a test subject, which is really cool as for being a coach is I get to see like, oh, this worked, this doesn't, this doesn't work. This works for me, but if I program it for you, it works for you because everyone's a little bit different. You find joy in whatever you find joy in. So reading from Matt Fitzgerald, um, Steve Magnus, uh, all these wonderful people that have these great books that are out there <coughs> that uh, I pull from their information and that's kind of what I do. So like Jack Daniels, the running formula, whatever it is, uh, his V-dot theory he has, he actually goes through in his book, he tells you about cadence, breathing, um, shoe everything, like a, what a training plan should look like for a 5K, a 10K, a half marathon, a marathon, if you're an elite, if you're not elite. And you can pull from all those different programs and see which one works best for you, and then you put it into the system. I will say, if you're like me, we overcomplicate everything. But I, I can write you a program in three sentences. Three sentences. I can write you a program in three sentences. The program would be <laughs> run slow a lot and run really hard twice a week and be consistent and gradually progress over time, understanding that you're going to have ups and downs. And then you will show up to the, the start line happy, healthy. What are the three sentences? Run slow a lot, be consistent. What's the last one? What did I just say? I don't know. Uh, run slow a lot. Be consistent and then run hard twice a week. Oh, and then progress, I guess. Maybe it's progress, hard. that's what you said. No, you said that. I missed it. Run slow a lot, progress, and then be consistent. Yeah. yeah. Um, you mentioned, you talk a lot about your friend in Texas. Mm -hmm. um, is that someone you have, like, conversations with about, like, where you are? Like, do conversations with him help you, like, realize, for example, last time where, like, I overtrained? Like, is it, is it those kind of conversations with him help that out? How important it is to have someone who's going through these struggles with you? Think about if you're struggling as a dad or you're struggling as a husband and you have conversations with someone that is also a dad or also a husband and they're going through the same trials or they've gone through the trials before uh, and they're like-minded. So when you have someone that you're running that is done workouts with you, who has done workouts similar to yours, you kind of just speak their language. It's like you, if you go to a party and you're a lawyer and you talk to other lawyers versus if you go to a party and you're a lawyer and you talk to um, a baker, like the, the type of conversations, you're going to understand the reality and their stresses that they go through on a different level. 
Uh, so for Derek, his name's Derek, and he and I are racing at CIM. So my goal is to beat him. He currently has the fastest marathon out of the two of us. He ran a 247 at CIM, I think a couple years ago. And I went and watched him and I did a cheered him on and stuff. And so secretly while he was running it, I was super impressed and proud. At the same time, I was like, I can't wait to beat his time. And so my goal is either beat him or die. So that's kind of where I'm going to be with that. Um, we're running Eugene together in April, and that's kind of like a tester workout. Uh, and then we're going to rebuild and see where we are in CIM to see what kind of like athleticism we can pull out of our old dadness. That's so funny. So it's to me from the outside, I know you don't care. Like there's just kind of personal opinion. I do care. There's a personal opinion, but it's, it's fascinating to like hear you talk about like, you know, Jared and, and Ryan, but I, I, I'm really drawn to this idea that um, we continually try to position influencers, people who have written books. We continually try to position them as the guide. They're the guide. It's always average people, normal people around you. And Jared, you're above average. I'm not saying you're average, but it's like it's like normal people that you spend time with. Like Jared's already done this, and so right there, like you know that this person has insight where he's been able to do this journey. Um, he's like been there on this journey with you. He's going to be there at the different races. Like to me, it's so obvious that he's like a guide on here, and it's it's fascinating to get through this point. I just think it's an observation I've made that like I've stopped trying to position like people who've written books and pretend like they have it all figured out as guides. And now I just talk to like Luke guys at the study group. <laughs> like they're the guides. They're the ones who like have these secrets. I've taken so much away from Danny on, um, you know, dealing with marriage and household stuff. And like, you know, Kyle, he's like more than he just said, like I've taken so much away from them. I just, I'm only recently in the past few months identified this idea that it's the regular people in your lives who should be your guides. And so it's great to hear that you have someone like Jerry. Because to me, from the outside, it sounds like you got a, you've got a strong intention of what you're doing. You've got it, like a guy that helped me on the journey. Like you've had some trials where you've like ridden through this. Like I'm excited for this journey that you're going to go on. So like as much as you want to kind of talk about like you've outlined kind of the outcome very clearly. It's very clear what your outcome is, by the way, 247, right? 37, but yeah. Oh, 237 is right there. Yeah, Sorry. that's fine. Uh, <laughs> Um, so it's very clear what the outcome is. Um, and so now like, what are the systems that you've kind of put in place to get to this point? So I want to start off by saying the people who wrote those books and the people we look up to are just like you and I. So I think that's a big misconception. And I think that's what happens. Like if you go meet a professional football player and you go talk to them, you're like, oh, you're a normal person. You kind of value the same things I value. You can have a conversation. We hold them up to the pedestal. Yeah. Uh, I think that happens a lot. And so I think that as soon as we realize that our idols that we look up to are like, just like us, then, um, that's, I think where we like come to terms with like, Oh, you shake their hand. They put their pants on just like you put your pants on. They wear shoes just like you wear shoes. And I think that that took a long time for me. Like when I met Ryan Hall, I was super nervous and I was like, He's just an average dude. He just, he <laughs> likes the same stuff I like. He has kids and it's just like, oh, you're just like me. Yeah. You can just run really, really fast. And it's not necessarily that he can just run really, really fast. He just works extremely hard. He works harder and his mindset and his struggles that he's gone through for a long period of time since middle school led him to be where he is now. We just kind of see that like the tip of the iceberg. We don't see the times that he struggled, the times that he was running with his dad, the times that he was injured, the times that we do all this stuff. We just assume that he had it easy. And so that's the first thing. Uh, the, the systems I have in place are just, I run every Tuesday and Saturday because I 
have a running club. And in that running club, we run Tuesdays on the track and we run Saturdays. So that's a system um, that's already there. So uh, don't ask me what I'm doing on Tuesdays and Saturdays because I'm running. <laughs> that's in place for a reason. Uh, and then I will think- run at the track. And just to be clear that you are out there and kind of um, there's a great program where you can kind of join you and kind of get that experience, right? Yes. Well, I, if you join the program, you join up and sign up and get emails and you're running the same yes. workouts that I'm doing and you're running it. There's a section for a track workout and then there's a section for if you don't have a track, which just uses time and paces. Um, and then if you live locally, you can come out and run with me on the track. It's just 5.15 in the morning and it's rain or shine or ice. So it's like people are like, oh, yeah, I'm going to come in the morning. It's like it's raining. It's like I'll still be there. Yeah. It's just going to happen. You just have to make the decision to do that, no matter if it's good weather, bad weather. If it's you feel good, you don't feel good, you get sleep, you don't get sleep. Like I have kids. I have a job. Uh, I've been sick. I've done all these things. I've made commitments, and I, I just show up. So all you need to do is consistently show up over a long period of time, and you're going to be way better off than anything that you've ever done. So if anyone wants that plan, they just like – DM me on Instagram, go on landsharksmovementco.com to go find where wow. this is. Look at that. Yeah. yeah. Landsharksmovementco.com and you go to um, running club or the running plan and you click on there, you just click track club yeah. and you pay for that and you get the, the track club access and you just get an email sent to your inbox weekly. I think it comes out on Sundays that we have the whole week to get it done and you can implement it whenever you want. And then if you do it early enough and you just have this plethora of different workouts that you can pull from. And then we generally do a block together. So our first block is we train for a mile. Then we train for a 5k. Now we're kind of training for that 10k half marathon because we're going to run a race in February. And so that, if you want to jump onto those things, that's what you can have. Um, and then we'll probably rebuild and do that again. But that's, that's just the, the running plan. Okay. What else? You're not just running Tuesday, Saturday, no. you're going to run a marathon. No. So, um, what I do is with myself and with my athletes, we kind of see where we are. Uh, we come up with a plan that works best for your lifestyle. So for me, I do a macro plan and I look at what I have, like how many miles do I want to run each week. And so I put my end race, which is April 28th, I think it is. Uh, and then I wrote that date and then I worked backwards on how many weeks I had. And I said, okay, I want to be running this many miles, this many miles. And I progress over time. I do three weeks on one week, a deload. And then as I do that, I'm building up mileage and I'm looking at it as a weekly volume, not looking at my long run as my buildup. I'm looking at the weekly volume of miles that I do. So I'm currently up to 55-ish miles and I'll get up to 75 to 80 miles for this block. And then I will get higher for my next block because this is like a preparatory block for fun. This is just because I'm getting back into running and seeing what that's like. I did a 5K buildup. I did a 10K buildup, and now I'm doing a half marathon buildup, and then I'll finish with that marathon buildup. I want to stop on that real quick. Uh, weekly volume. Yeah. Um, you know, if you go to Genesis, like the earth was created in a week, okay? Yeah. We all live by weeks. Um, Kyle brought that awesome picture that has all your weeks of your life. The week is like an interesting block of like understanding progress. And um, I've recently, over the past month and a half or two, put in my systems back in place that I used to have years ago. And part of that is like a really strict weekly review of metrics. And I've, I've generated a lot of value out of that. So it's interesting to hear the way you view of like a week as a time of like total volume and a metric for that week. Um, I just, I would challenge people to, you know, abstract that from your marathon running. So whether or not they're going to be training for a race or training or just dealing with whatever in life. Um, reviewing on a weekly basis has been very helpful for me. And I think it sounds like it's helpful for you. Well, it gives me structure. Ultimately you need a good structure that you can follow over a long period of time. So any plan is better than no plan. So if you write a plan and you just follow it, you're going to be better off than just kind of running randomly. 
Um, there's so many free plans out there. Your watch, even majority of Garmin watches will be like, hey, I want to do this. And it tells you exactly what to run, what pace to run, and it'll get you to where it is. It doesn't understand. It's like an AI form generated one. And I always have these debates like what's better, an AI coach or an actual coach? And an actual coach, maybe it's because that's what I am and I'm not AI. I believe is better because an actual coach takes a zoom out lens of your life and AI can't do that. So they know that you're going through a stressful time. They know yeah. that you and your husband or your wife are having a hard time. They know that your kids are jerks. They know that you didn't get sleep. They know that your food's been off. They know that this time of year for your work is super busy, but like, that's what the coach knows. The AI doesn't know any of that. That just kind of looks at your performance and says like, Oh, this needs to be done. Um, so I look at it at a week, but in running form, like I don't necessarily look at it as there's a seven day window that some people look at. There's a nine and a 10 day window that some people look at. There's a lot of triathletes that do these nine or 10 days where they do nine days of training because they can't fit all they want into a seven day block. So they do different hard days with different rest periods in there. And then they have that kind of that deload day. So there's different volumes. When I worked in the fire service, I had two on four off. So my days always shifted. So I couldn't do my long run every Sunday. I couldn't do it every Saturday uh, because of my, sometimes I'd be on shift. So I would do treadmill running, but then maybe during my middle of my four day, I'd have a long run. So we kind of did a 10 day schedule when we did that way. But we look, I look at increasing volume weekly, but some coaches look at it by 10 days. Some people look at nine days. Um, and Whatever then it is, there's a period. There is a period. There's a there's a period that you can do. So I don't want to just say the seven is the only one. That's the one that I use with myself and my athletes because I work well on a seven day block. But when I was in the fire service, I was on a ten day block, and I that was I look back at my training and be like that would be super challenging to to write for, just because of how um, I would randomly get called in. You randomly don't get sleep, so it was really hard to kind of do that. So but, is it interesting uh, to talk about? Do you just like? like linearly progress, meaning you just say like a line from here to here, this week I should be at this much, this week I should be at this much, or do you like have some sort of like curve in that line or is it just weekly it should be a certain rate down to get to two So they say it's 10% of like increase uh, each week. Like, so if you look so at, you're increasing mileage 10% each not, week. But that's like a super easy, like if you're increasing 10, so some people say like, oh, I'm gonna increase 10% each long run. So you're going from, three point miles at three point whatever one mile so like that's some ways they look at it but i look at it as volume and then i do 10 percent of the week not the the run and so i'm not saying that 10 percent is the number i'm not i don't do 10 percent um, when i get closer to my event i am increasing a certain amount but there's you got to take in your training maturity i don't mean just like your mindset but how long you've been running are you a jv athlete or are you a varsity senior starter like there's two different types of athletes if i have someone that's never ran and they can only run a mile um, and they want to run a half marathon i don't put them on the same progression that someone that's ran for the past five years and has that same thing so uh, that all depends and fun fact i had a lady who could not run a mile and then after four months she ran a half marathon without stopping oh, she cool. didn't think that was possible yeah, it was just really cool. cool but if you find the progression that works for that person and they stay committed it's super rewarding as a coach i get more involved like i get more nervous as a coach and an athlete is running a race than me actually running the race which is kind of a fun thing but at the same time it stinks how do you deal with and maybe this is not a useful time but i'd like to kind of pull away from this real quick yeah how do you deal with like this week i didn't run what i targeted to run so like life got in the way yeah What are you willing to suffer for? So for me, it's 
what you put in the center of your week um, is kind of what happens. So like if I put running in the middle of my week, <laughs> then I make running happen. But let's say my kids are in the middle of my week, are in the middle, which they should be, or my wife or God, or whatever you have going on. That's the center of the universe. That's what you're making your thing. And so for me, let's say a kid goes to the hospital or my dad gets hit by a van, <laughs> all things that have happened. Um, your, rain, your, your running takes, because what's more important to you? What are your core values? Like what is it, family first? Yes, every time. So something comes up and you don't do it, understand that it's going to be, you're not going to not get in shape because you miss a workout because you miss an eight mile run. Like that's not going to be the one it's if you consistently miss eight mile runs and you consistently miss workouts, that's when you're going to see the deterioration of your training, but understanding and being realistic with yourself and knowing that missing one workout or not hitting that workout doesn't mean that you're not going to show up on race day. Um, that's it. And it's not one workout or one week. It's the the downhill slide and catching it early and understanding like, Oh, I'm on this bad trend and then refixing that's going to happen. And understanding that's going to happen is going to allow you to be a better athlete. So it's interesting. You said like, so it's basically number one, you kind of start with like, first of all, I don't accept that I do less. Like there's a lot of, a lot of reasons people make excuses why they can't do it. Um, there's some actual excuses like injury, um, significant life event, whatever. But I think it's cool how you started that by saying, what are you willing to suffer for? Meaning like we do not accept not hitting the mileage in the dramatic situation there is, that's a dramatic situation that caused that, which means like you're going to be able to pull back on track because you are a consistent person. I am a person that adheres to this. Well, yeah, let's say that it's deteriorating my relationship with my kids or my wife or whatever. I have to reel in because I have to know that what's, what's in front of me first, like what's more important to me being a good dad, a good husband, or is it getting a 237, right? <laughs> so like if the 237 is be making me be a terrible father and a bad husband, yeah. then sorry, 237, you're to the wayside. Um, so that's kind of like having that ingrained in you, but also knowing that like, Hey, if I could be, if you, I could be a good dad, a good husband and present and still train the way that I want to train. And if you do that and you find that line, that's what a good training block looks like. And that's really hard. Um, and you said injury, right? And I say like injury by you getting an injury. That means that potentially you were training outside your scope. That means that you were following a bad plan. You went and you like progression overload. You did it too much and you didn't do it appropriately. You didn't take the right steps. So following a plan could have been the reason why you got injured. So I have a lot of people that I coach that want to do more. They're like, more is not always better. And faster does not mean you're going to get better. When I decided to slow down and understand that I was meticulously hitting certain workouts so that I can be ready. That's when I started seeing progress. I was constantly and a lot of the, the stuff that I talk about is because I learned this. So like when I talk about it in the gym or I talk about it with my athletes, it's because I've gone through that. I used to constantly run five miles at a 7.30 minute mile and wonder why I wasn't getting any faster. I didn't understand it. I was like, I can run a 7.30 minute mile for five miles every single day. And that's what I did. I still stayed the same. I didn't get any better. I didn't get any worse. I just stayed there. I got fatigued. I got just ups and downs. I'd always stay there when I realized I needed to slow down and run a lot slower and then run a lot faster. When I had those two different stresses, I saw huge gains. I took an hour off my marathon. I took a half an hour off of my half marathon. I took uh, a minute off of my mile without even trying to take a minute off my mile by training for a marathon. It was just crazy to see these astronomical gains by slowing down and being more precise with my workouts. Do you care? Sorry, we drilled down there. We were, you were talking about the weekly volumes. 
Um, do you think it's useful to share that with people, what your weekly volume, do you want to talk about that? Or do you think it's just different for everyone? Like, what does it look like for you? So I'll start off by with a caveat of saying that it is different for everyone. Um, my running coach, and I hope he's okay with me saying this is he was an elite marathoner. He was, um, Olympic trials qualifying in Atlanta. And, uh, but he ran less volume than most people because he knew that when he got to the 70 to 80 miles per week threshold, that's when his body started falling apart. So he and his coach came up with a plan so that he can get volume, pool running, uh, biking, um, weighted, weightless air running when you're running and then those treadmills with those little things that make you feel lighter. Uh, so they were able to do those things to help him get the same uh, like time, but he wasn't running 100 miles. So there's a lot of people that say you have to run 100, 120 miles to be that. So each person is different. Luckily, I consider myself, knock on wood, like a durable piece of Tupperware. I grew up big. I've done plenty of strength training. Um, and so I'm pretty durable. And what's, what I found out is that I've been able to do those things. And being smart, understanding that like you definitely need to take it easy sometimes. But I've made myself, like strength training makes people durable. Uh, so the more durable you are. So I'll say my current miles, I'm currently up to 55 miles per week. And like, I think I said before, I'll build up to 75 miles by the time I hit into mid to early April. Um, so that's just a slow incremental grain. I started at where did you start? 30. Well, it depends on like where I'm in my training. Did I take two weeks off? Will my starting block because I'll get to 80 to 85 miles for my next buildup, like I built up to 65, 75 miles and then I hit my race and then I recovered and then I'm going to build up again, start down in the 35, 40s, 45 range, and then rebuild up to that 80, 85 range. That's like this. I had to go through 12 years of training or 10 years of training to get to that. Right. So my advice for everyone is, and this is what Ryan Hall did to me. I told him what I was training for. And the first thing he told me, I was running 50, 55 miles a week. And he says, run less. (laughs) He goes, you don't know, like stop. And so he gave me, um, like a, a 5k macro plan and he had me run 30 to 35 miles and he did an alternating high, medium or low, medium, high volume week. Um, and then he had me go on that. So it was like 30 miles, 35 miles, 40 miles, or it was 25, 30, 35 miles. And then it would go down. So at your high volume week, you knew that after that you had a low volume week. Uh, and it was a game changer. And we did, we did a very specific workout where we built my 5k pace. Uh, and this is a big thing that people need to take into consideration. Whenever I have someone that texts me and say, I want you to help me get faster at a marathon. I have a race in 12 weeks. Training doesn't start for a fast marathon 12 weeks before the race. It starts a year prior. So like my fast race is when I, all this, this was decided it was over a year away. And so these builds up buildups are for that race. That's over a year away. So I advise this to everyone. If you're taking on a marathon in December, I would do, which is CIM, take it on this year. CIM, hopefully it's a great race. Uh, good Jeff Merrill is a huge elite corral person there. It's a very well ran race. It's local for us. Uh, it's, there's always spectators. It's generally cold, decent weather, sometimes rain. Um, so it's a really good race. And it's one of the most like Boston qualifying times out there for like a, whatever you want to call it. But if you have a race a year away or 10 months away, start with a 5k plan. 
And the reason why I say that is because if you want to run fast, you still need to develop foot speed. You also, by running a 5K plan, are going to be doing a lower volume of mileage. So 50 weeks before your race, you're not running 60 miles. You're running 30 to 25 miles, maybe 20 miles. Then you get that 10 week chunk in, and then you train, you do like a little tester race, and then you do um, a 10K buildup. And then now you're going from 35, maybe 40 miles a week, 45 miles a week, and then you're gonna do a, then you do that for eight to 10 weeks, maybe 12 weeks, and then you sign up for a half marathon, do a half marathon buildup. Now you're running 50, 55, maybe 60 miles a week, and then you do that race, and then you run a, a marathon, and then you're running 65, 75, 80 miles a week. If you look at it on a graph, you took a year to get from 20 miles to 75 miles. What a lot of people do is they sign up for a race, and they're like, I'm gonna do 75 miles. That's what the pros do. We're not pros. I'm not a pro. You're not a pro. Like we're not running. We didn't build up to that appropriately. But that's what Ryan Hall introduced me to, and it was really good because it helped me uh, become more durable and injury proof. There's something unique about that. And once again, trying to kind of pull from this marathon running to whatever anyone's doing. Uh, you've mentioned eight to ten week chunks, and you know, set a 5K as the initial eight to ten weeks, and then set a, a different goal for the next eight to ten weeks. I mean, that's like a season. Like, you know, like winter, like over winter, I'm going to be training for the 5k mm -hmm. over spring. I'm going to be doing this over summer. And I think there's something natural there. I used to set these like year long goals and kind of year long ideas, but just the year it's, it's too big of a period to understand and predict for and plan for So like these seasons are much more focused, much more attainable. Um, I like that you have like a goal or end result at the quarter. I've been trying to build that in my life. Like I have this race coming up here. It will be a good standard of where I'm at. Um, plus, I'm training for this, and then it can build on. So I just want to highlight that. I think that's a really cool uh, feature of your training program is these kind of seasonality. Well, I think when you when you think of a coach, when I thought of a coach, <clears throat> I didn't think of, like, I wanted a coach for two, three years. I wanted a coach for 10 weeks or 12 weeks. Um, but you need a coach for years because – they're gonna, you're gonna respond to races differently. You're gonna respond to different things differently. And if you have a coach that understands you and how you adapt to different types of training, you need that for a year, for two years, for three years, not just like six months, or sorry, not just 12 weeks. And so I think that's really important about coaches. Um, and you had said, when you think about like any atomic habits, any goals that people set out there, uh, make them obtainable. You shouldn't have a, a crazy goal sometimes, but you don't, if you just think about that crazy goal, you're going to end up failing because hopefully you don't, but it's just too much to chew. And so if you take that really big goal and you just like put all in there, set these little stair step goals, like, okay, I want to get this 5k, I want to get this 10k, I want to get this half marathon. And that kind of helps you decide to see if your training plan is working. It helps you understand if you're actually doing the right work. Are you getting faster or are you getting slower? If I run a 5k at this pace and then I do a 10k, I don't know, two and a half months later, three months later, what kind of training did I do? And did I get faster? Did I run a slower predicted pace? Um, so if you're looking for, so first of all, uh, I coach from the Land Sharks Movement Co. online, and we use Training Peaks, and we we do that together. But I'm not like the best coach out. There's always each person's going to fit with a different coach. So I might not be the best coach for you, but I, someone else might be the best coach for you. So you need to find a coach that like understands you. And so if you're looking for a um, a coach who understands what it's like to have a baby, be pregnant, and to like be a mom who does, I'm not your coach. 
right? Because I, I don't relate to that. I do have a wife who had a baby and we did coach her to run, but like, I can't relate to that. So you might want to go to a different coach that understands what it's like to be a stay-at-home mom, the stresses that comes with that, and you relate to them because they're going through the same training. But let's say that you're uh, a person in your mid-30s or early 20s or mid-40s or 50s, and you're like, I want to see what my true potential is. Um, and you want to relate to someone that also has kids, uh, has life experiences, has done some of these races, then I might be your coach. But everybody's different. So I'm not saying that I'm the coach for everybody. I have coached plenty of moms, plenty of dads, plenty of young people, currently as young as nine, as old as 72. And everyone's a little bit different. So you got to find your coach that you fit in with. Uh, but in saying that, if you're looking for really good coaching, where I did my first um under as an athlete it's called run free training it's put on by ryan hall and jay stevenson and they have a program and they hire these elite uh, athletes to be their coaches so underneath their programming they have these elite coaches so let's say you and i are the elite coaches which we're not but then you have ryan hall and jay that are up here and then we coach these other people so it's a really good plan you really get involved they have a really good holistic approach just to say that you can go to their website and you can go look at their their pace calculator and it's called a training pace calculator and i use this a lot for my athletes i use it for myself um, you can type in like what your goal marathon pace is and then it will tell you what your predicted 5k pace should be so if you're looking for a starting block i want to run a sub three hour marathon what does it mean to run a sub three hour marathon if i was in 5k shape so what kind of 5k shape do i need to be in to run a sub three hour marathon okay I'll pick it right here. Oh, 5K, it says I need to be running a certain amount of mileage or a certain mile time for my 5K. Uh, same thing with the 10K half marathon. So what I do is I print this up and you can print it up. It's on their website uh, and it gives you the different zones. It gives you different training, moderate, long runs, tempo runs, mile pace, all this stuff. It gives you your 95%, your 102%, breaks down everything for you. So if you're looking for like specific times, um, so I just, I like pointing people in that direction, right? I want to give you a tool that I currently use. I also have a tool called 26.2 as an app on my phone and it breaks down all the mile paces and it breaks down like, okay, at 5k, 10k, half marathon and marathon. So if you say like, I want to run a, a two thirty-eight marathon, like off the top of my head, I'm like, okay, that's a five, six, six, five. I don't know exactly, but I can go to that thing. And I can be like, oh, that's a five fifty-five, or that's a five fifty-seven mile pace. And it tells me all those things. So there's different tools out there that you can like use as a guiding light besides mentors that kind of help you give you areas to choose from. So it's called, it's training pace calculator. It's just an algorithm and you type it in and it predicts what you would run. So if I ran a sub three hour marathon, oh, let's just do this. So my goal for Eugene is a 249. So my, that pace means a 627 pace. So that means my half marathon should be a 120 pace. So I should be able to run a half marathon. And that's just a prediction, right? That doesn't account for your, your threshold, your volume, all this stuff. So that's a 607 pace. So if I'm looking for, my coach wants me to run 10 by 800s at half marathon pace. I'm going to run those at 607. And I'm going to run uh, the 4 by 200s at 5K pace. Oh, I know that I'm going to run that at uh, a 535 pace. It just gives you these things that you can use for. Don't. Um, your watch is a liar because <laughs> uh, they're satellites. But a track never lies. So if you measure with a measuring wheel, or if you are on a track, your your watch is going to tell you, I can go run a mile around the building, and I'll say I ran a 558 mile. But then I can go on the track and actually run uh, 1,609 meters or whatever it is, and I'm actually running a 608. 
So your, your watch a lot of times tells you that it's faster than it is. Sometimes it tells you that you're slower than it is. So you, you can always trust a track and I always break down the splits. So that also comes on the email that you get with the track club. It breaks down the splits of what your mile splits are for each hundred meters that you're running on a track. It's kind of cool little feature that I use daily. And that's on your I mean, you can track club. You could probably, uh, no, you have it. You I have, have it on mine where it yeah. comes and it says it takes you to, there's a link that goes to our website and then there's a link that goes to that page and you print out that page and you can highlight the paces that you're trying to hit. And then that's how I gauge all my workouts. So I knew today that my 800s are going to start at 306 and then work my way down to a 254 or something for my half mile repeats. Do you, what's the frequency with which you're planning that out? So what you just said right there about what you were going to run this morning. Did you decide that this morning? Did you decide that last night? Was that decided a week ago? Or was that decided two months ago? Two weeks. So I have a that macro plan, right? Yeah. So I have a macro plan and I have all that out there. Then what comes after that macro plan is, okay, I know that I want to hit 45 or 50 miles. Then I have 50 miles and I know that I'm going to hit these different workouts. I have build-up workouts that I am progressively building over time. And so uh, last week I ran um, a certain amount. I ran one mile, two mile, one mile, two mile at threshold pace. Um, and then, so today I ran, uh, three by, or sorry, eight by, sorry, 10 by eight hundreds. And so this progression happens over time. So the workout that I did last week, the next step and progression would be this workout. And then the next week has a next workout, which is a progression off of this one. Then I take a down week, then I rebuild and then get a little bit higher building up to these really, really hard workouts. But if I were to, I had a gentleman today. Uh, who we were running and the workout said eight by or sorry 10 by 800s and he hadn't done the progression that i had done and he goes i said how many are you gonna run today and he goes i'm gonna do 10. And i said well hey i'm doing 10 and i progressed to this from the past like six weeks it took me six weeks to get to this point or however many weeks to get to this point of this buildup. so like we need to do six to a certain amount of because of your current where you are and then build off of that um, so i have my my long runs and workouts are already planned till april so I have them because I have a progression that I use from previous running experience, all the books that I've read and workouts that I really like, and then I use those. So when you show up this morning, you don't have to think about it. You don't have to make decisions. This is what I'm supposed to be running. Yes. I don't – like if I if I was able to, to decide on a workout that I wanted to do, like I wouldn't pick the workout I did this morning. That workout this morning was extremely hard. And to, next week, next Tuesday's workout is even harder. And then the week before that was super hard. So it's like I want to choose like wake up at 5 and go do that workout. I pre-decide that I'm going to be doing that workout and then I go do that workout because that's a progression that I'm on. And then all I do is I do the, uh, the based on the, the pace. So in, I don't know, eight months from now, I might be on the same progression, but instead of hitting them at the paces that I hit this morning, I hit them at my new half marathon, my new 10K. And I'm doing those workouts based off the pace that I want to hit. It's the same workout. So you can repeat workouts. It's just at a different like speed and stimulus kind of thing. Okay, so that's a lot of numbers. Um, Mileage-wise, you have times. Any other metrics that you would track periodically, formally, or just kind of keep an eye on? Uh, I mean, like you your own personal metrics. Heart rate, yeah. uh, resting heart rate, your HRV. I mean, you could nerd out on that stuff. Like my watch pretty much tells me to take a day off all the time, which I think is great. I think it's a great. Um, Thing to have but you can watch you listen to no, no 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 i don't listen to my watch because i program for myself and i use my other programs um i think that listening to your watch is always good like if it's telling you all these things uh but i do know that sometimes i am supposed i'm not supposed to feel great 100 percent of the time i'm supposed to feel great there's a um i forget it's molly 
as a Olympic, her coach said, uh, this is on your, your Rich Roll guy podcast. He was interviewing her and he said that her coach said that it should be in thirds. A third of the time, you should feel great. A third of the time, you should feel uh, pretty normal or like out of it. And then a third of the time, you should feel like absolute crap. And if you have those three things, then you have a good program. You shouldn't feel 100% all the time. So there are times where I'm training, where I'm under stress and I'm under fatigue, but that's because that's where I'm going to grow. As long as I know at the end of that, I do have a recovery portion. It's like if I plan, but if I don't plan that recovery, if I don't plan that deload week, then it, it, where does that end? So I know that sometimes my watch is going to say, Hey, today you should take a rest day, but I know that next week is a deload week and I'm pushing through because then I'm going to soak up all that fitness on my deload week and then rebuild from there. I think it's, I want to drill into this. So one third of the time, great. One third out of it. One third feel like crap. That's like of your 24 hours of the day. What you're saying is every morning you go train one third of those mornings, you're going to feel that way. Is that what you're saying? Or are you just like throughout the day through your training? So not as a, not as a 24, as a training block. So if I were to break up my three week or four week training block, I look at it and I'm like, okay, on this week, I felt like, I felt like I was like going to win the world. I was running all crazy this week. I was like, I felt really kind of tired. And then this week I felt like absolute, like I was getting nowhere. I was super unmotivated. I was doing that. But then the next week I have a deload week or then the next week I feel great. So it's, you're looking at the training block as a whole, not necessarily the day on weekly or whatever the period is basis. Yeah. There's no, you're not going to feel great on all the workouts. And you, as soon as you understand that your every workout is uh, not going to feel like amazing then you're going to be all right. Because I used to get so devastated when I didn't hit the workout. I used to be like, oh, I didn't hit my times. Like I just, I'm a failure. And then understanding that that doesn't mean you're a failure. Like you went out there, you did it, you ran that way that you felt today. And because you did that, then you're going to be better the next time you kind of go out. So understanding that and and trusting the process. I mean, that's a huge thing when you talked about all these uh, wonderful coaches and their athletes that they have is that they trust the process that's happening so that they make the right decisions so that they continue to, to not focus on the 237 or the sub three hour marathon or the sub five minute mile. They're focused on the process to get there. And as soon as you make that process, what brings you pure joy and happiness and insightfulness, then that other number that's there is just an, an, an addition to the positive um, environment that you're trying to produce. So if we focus so much on this, then we get distracted. But if we focus on the process and we focus on the conversations and we focus on the times that we were able to go outside the ability to use our bodies in the way that we're doing it and we enjoy that, that's when that number kind of comes to fruition. fruition. Do you have confidence in your process? Meaning like you have scheduled down weeks, but let's say you feel like you're terrible that day. Like, do you have a lot of trust where I'm not going to get injured because I planned this out in advance because you've been doing this for years? What is it where you're able to trust the process that's not going to get you injured? I can imagine a lot of situations where people are you know, getting into something new. A lot of times it's usually something new. Um, and they want to trust the process, but then there's a hesitancy because like maybe my coach doesn't understand all these facets of my life or you know whatever it is, or maybe I'm following this algorithmic plan, which is not. So where does the high level of trust you have in your process come from? It's the zoom out lens that I could take. So if I, zoom, if I zoom out the lens and I look at my life as perspective and have an open, honest conversation with myself as an athlete, it's very hard. So as an athlete, I do this, I do this, um, my wife, she, when she trains and I'm coaching her, we go through this stuff 
And uh, she was like, I feel really good. Like, I want to go. Like, I want to go. I want to do more. And she was recovering from an injury, and she was recovering from this stuff. And I was like, well, hey, no, I know that. That's great that you feel good. But let's, let's harness that. Let's look at this. And then we zoomed out the lens. And she was eating breakfast at that time. And I said, hey, what's right in front of you? And she goes, oh, I see, like, two pieces of toast, three eggs, and uh, a fruit. And I go, okay, ask me what I see as your coach. And she goes, okay, what do you see as your coach? And I say, well, I see you sitting at home just waking or you had already woken up you've already done the reading you've already packed the lunches for your kids you're about to take your kids to school you're about to go work you're about to go do all this stuff and i also see that you have a plate of food in front of you so it's like as a coach you take a zoom out lens approach to what they're going through and it's really hard as a coach athlete because i'm my own coach to do that because you get sucked into that thing so like you're as a coach you're like or as an athlete, I'm like, oh, I can, I can push through this because I know this process. But having a real open, honest conversation, look yourself in the mirror and be like, hey, just today isn't a day. Listen to your body. And it's um, having the, the, the trusting the process and the fact that overall, if you're consistent for a long period of time, this little minute workout isn't going to be the dictator, dictate what you're going to get on the race day. So, I, I, there's a point where I looked at a workout and I had to do, I didn't have to, I was able to do. 15 or 16 by 1k repeats on the track and I lost count and I did 15 um I it it ruined me that I missed a k I was supposed to do 16 like I got home and you can count how many you did just based on if your heart rate and pace and I missed one and I was like oh. and I text my coach I was like oh man I'm so sorry I missed a 1k he goes that 1k is not going to be the difference of you getting your time or not you went out there you did that it was five in the morning blah 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 okay so you mentioned um, you work hard and there's a lot of volume and that volume is increasing over time. Uh, from the outside, has nutrition ever been a problem as like a limitation factor? And do you feel like you have a good system now uh, for nutrition and fueling yourself? So there's a couple sides to that. Uh, the first I'd like to say I'm, I'm not a nutritionist. Uh, that's not my specialty. We're asking you. I know. I just want to start off with that saying that I'm not my friend Andrea is oh, okay. s- s- savagely uh, and she's anything that I say I will regurgitate it probably wrong but it's through her and does she produce uh, content where people she's about find to her? produce content so yeah Andrea given that I don't know what her Instagram so be, uh, yeah be on the lookout for her okay. but she has a lot of good information and, and what it is is just pretty much what we all say is eat real food more often and uh, eat a variety of good food um, and so she, uh, dis- I'm just going to say, I despise low calories. Um, there's a bunch of stuff, do some research on reds and all that theory and all these things that happen that when you have lower and how it messes with your everything. So I'm not going to get into that, but I will say that I define fo- low calories w- just real quick. No, I mean, no, here, let me say this. I used to worry about my weight because the lighter you are, the faster you run. If you look at the weight to ratio, all this stuff. So I want to start off by saying, with a caveat of saying like that, that's great. But the lighter you weigh, the more likely you are to get injured. If you're not eating appropriately or the more your hormones, your everything's going to be off of kilter and you're not going to be doing great. So I used to focus so much on the weight. And I want people to understand the stance that I take because I don't focus on the weight. I focus on the training and let the weight be a side product. Your body will naturally get to where it needs to be if you consistently do the thing that you're trying to do. So your body wants to be the most efficient it can be possible. So you just need to continue the training and not focus about the weight. The weight will come. 
Uh, and so that's, that's a really hard stance to take because it's really hard to train really hard and lose weight. And it's really hard to lose weight and train really hard. So you have to find this balance of what you're trying to do. Are you trying to be the best runner in the world? Are you trying to get 0.07% better on your next marathon by losing a certain amount of weight by the time you get there? Probably. We're focusing so much on weight when we should focus on being consistent, getting sleep, eating real food more often, and drinking water, and whatever else you got going on. Focus on those things. Let this other stuff kind of just happen. We're always worried about the 3%. Everyone's worried about this top part. That's what the Instagram influencers are talking about. It's what it's super flashy and it looks good. No one's talking about this stuff that you have to do. That um, is just the basis for everything. So my friend Andrea, I've said this a bunch of times. I said, I want to get this. I want to take these supplements. I want to do that. And she goes, you're willing to spend $100 or however much a month, $200 a month on supplements to get 1% better versus focusing on sleep, nutrition, and hydration to get 10% better. How does that make sense? And I said, it doesn't. But that's the, my mindset. And that's 99% of people's mindset is like, hey, what what's the easy way to get out of this? There's no easy way. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of eating. It takes a lot of nutrition. It takes a lot of sleep. And it takes a lot of patience. And then you can do that. So that's where I'll start with nutrition. Nutrition wise, like I eat the same thing pretty much all the time. So if you want to know what I eat in a day, um, this is what works for me. And everyone's different. That's why every, every body ingests foods differently. It adapts to foods differently. But I will say with food, I train food just like I train workouts. So if I have a, I'm training for race day. And so when I'm training for race day in my food, I want to have energy. I want to not poo my pants. And I, not want, I don't want to pee my pants. Those are the things that I don't want to do on race day. So what I do is I practice different foods and different goos, different gels, different hydrations to make sure that that doesn't happen. I never introduce anything new. And I practice that on daily workouts. Like this morning is a hard workout. It's a double day. So for me, I had my same breakfast. I did the workout and then I had my post-workout breakfast. So I had two breakfasts. And then on the day, like my long run, I'm going to have that same breakfast that I'm probably going to have on race day, just a little bit less calories because I'm not going to be running as long, but I'm still preparing myself to understand that I know I need to eat this two to three hours before my event so that I can know what my digestion is doing. What happens when I have two cups of coffee? What happens when I have 48 ounces of water? What happens when I have this type of food before? That's more important than like breaking down the macro and whatever. But you just said, you said you had the same breakfast, but then you just said uh, you added more because it was a harder day. So you like, is that based on feel? Is it pro the way you program out weekly? Do you program out weekly calories? No. No. Do you, when you said like you, you added extra calories cause you're doing it. Is that something you do intuitively? Like I know I'm going to need more. So I just throw a little bit more in. Do you measure it out? Like what does your process look like? I put more honey in my oatmeal. Okay. There you go. Beautiful. That's pretty much it. Like I, uh, my, my pre race meal that I've practiced hundreds and hundreds of time is a half a cup of oatmeal. If it's the race and it's a cup of oatmeal, some peanut butter, some honey, a little bit of cranberries. And then I have a banana and then I have my protein and then I have orange juice. And that's like, that's three hours. That's if I know that I have three hours before my event. And I just put a boatload of honey in there because I love honey. So I don't measure anything. I just put like, oh, that looks good. That's the way it tastes. And because of that, which people are probably losing their crap right now because I'm like, there's a thing about like you should have three grams of carbs per 
body weight or kilogram based on three hours prior, two hours, and one hour prior. Um, I'm about getting all those things in that makes you feel good while you're doing it so you have energy. And I practice during my workout. So I practice that when I'm going to Cord Road and running 18 miles. I'm going to have this. What did I feel? And you take inventory. What did I feel like at mile 10? Did I feel like I was depleted? Did I feel like I had more energy? Um, Did I bring gels? I need to eat and have carbs and uh, hydration during the run so that I can recover so that I know on the next day I can recover again. Recovery starts in the, the before your run starts. A lot of people think like recovery starts right after the run or what or what recovery starts the day after the run recovery starts before your run even starts because if you're not fueling and hydrating appropriately during your run then you're actually doing yourself a disservice um, just because you're now behind the like the eight ball behind the curve when you're getting ready for the next one so a lot of people they're like they have a workout on friday and they have they're not able to produce a good workout because they didn't rehydrate and renutrition themselves on Tuesday. So being mindful of like this Tuesday workout, you need to actually be eating so that you can have that Friday workout. And that's when you get a really good plan because you're getting the most out of the workout. So I don't want to go into like macros, calories, all that stuff. I will say that 1200 calories, 1400 calories for someone that runs a lot and works out a lot is a terrible plan. I will tell you that having more calories and more carbs is not going to make you fat. It's the crap that you put in your mouth. That's not that stuff. If you're eating a boatload of fruit, vegetables, meat, and some good stuff, um, I think you're going to be way better off than having the, uh, like the cliff bar and the, uh, I don't know, all that stuff. Have you ever tracked macros and calories? Yes. Do you, would you argue that you have an intuitive sense of what that looks like and what you need now based on kind of that time and then throughout your training, what does look like? You've been intentional and intuitive with it? Uh, I would say that I have a terrible relationship with food. A previous experience of all the things that I... Like even now, you feel that way? Uh, yeah, I mean, if I were to count my macros and all this stuff, like I get it. There's some people that work that way. That's a great way to live. Mm-hmm. You, you, If that works for you, then do that. That puts more stress on me and it makes me more um, aggravated when I don't hit those things because, and it could be because I've eaten a certain way for a longer period of time. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you when I watch what I eat and I don't eat crappy food, I feel great. Yeah. And then uh, when I don't eat real food and I eat crappy food, I feel like crap. So I just lean toward this one and I know what's good. We all know what's good food. If we're eating a Dorito and you put it in your mouth and you're like, wow, that tastes really good. That's not a good food. Oh, I'm going to eat some carrots. Oh, I'm going to eat a celery stick. <laughs> like, oh, I'm going to eat uh, some oatmeal. Oh, I'm going to eat an apple. Oh, I'm going to eat one of the peaches. Oh, I'm going to eat this. Like, that's, you know that's good. But if you're sitting here and you're eating, like, a processed chewy bar, which tastes amazing, or, like, a muffin, or a donut, or um, any kind of food, that's not great. Like, th- there's definitely a difference. And you know as you're eating it. Um, it's all perspective. We have someone that came in here and recently and was like, I had this dessert and it's good for you. They're like, oh, it's only 300 calories. I was like, well, yeah, that doesn't mean that it's good for you. Like you need to have perspective and you need to understand. But if you don't have perspective or understand those things, then it's not going to be, we all know what's good food. We convince ourselves that some stuff is good because it says gluten-free or it says low calorie or it says this and whatsoever. We know what's good. We know what's bad. Take responsibility or ownership for the own stuff that you put. I, I do want to say this is that um, if, if anything out of this, right, we, you, you're pulling some stuff out, you're 
asking some questions and we're talking about all these things and it is overwhelming. It's a lot of stuff to like digest. The one thing that I will say is a race, an event, is a celebration of your fitness. If you take that perspective of like at the start line and at the finish line, that's a celebration of all the hard work and all the dedication and all the sacrifices that you've made. That will make your race, no matter what the outcome is, way more enjoyable. The race is but a sprinkle on a ginormous cake. The cake is made of batter, flour, eggs, whatever other stuff you put in there. And that is a huge, it's as big as the cake. Your training block is as big as this table. And the race is that small little sprinkle or that dollop of whipped cream at the top. It's a very small, minute piece of this giant plant. We get so focused on that sprinkle that we lose the ability to appreciate the cake. It's like mine. That was beautiful. That was my 